Good evening. Welcome to your Wednesday Night Live. It is Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Aid. And I am thrilled that you are here joining me in this torpedo-headed giant thumb exploration into the deep recess of Titanic philosophy. Glad to have you along with me. Oh, you enjoyed the conversation about women becoming more liberal and men becoming more conservative? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. That's right. So that was on, so the way where you go through subscribestar.com slash freedom and you sign up there, you get automatically redirected to a very cool community. Of course, you can also get the community at freedomain.locals.com, freedomain.locals.com. All right, <laughs> let me just check, see if things are actually working over here. Uh, and that actually ended up, there we go, yes, alive everywhere. Oh, magnificent. Oh, how glorious. Fabulous. Fabulous. All right, so good evening. Tips are welcome. Of course, freedomman.com slash donate if you're listening to this later and you find super value in what it is that I'm doing. Just to remind you, of course, for the donors, we've got a remastered Story of Your Enslavement. Story of Your Enslavement has been translated into Russian, Portuguese, Spanish, Klingon, Esperanto, Elvish. I may have gone off the rails a little bit there somewhere, but you can check it out at freedomain.locals.com. And very, very interesting stuff. Yeah, I could literally talk all day about women becoming leftist and men becoming rightist. It's very, very interesting. All right, so let's get straight to your question. Steph, while listening to your recently posted video on Satanism, I had the thought that Christ is the apple being put back up on the tree above us. He was beaten and tortured to show what it's like to go from living as the animal to the angelic. Well, that's the story of Rachel, to go from the angels to the spiritual, to leave Arlo. Uh, Arlo Arlo is, is um, I mean, he, he literally is a monkey. He like literally jumps around, eats bananas, scratches his butt, makes ooga-booga noises. Uh, he literally is a monkey, and she's trying to get to something elevated, which is the spiritual nature or past-the-body side of Oliver. She is the evolution from the animal. What does she care about at the beginning of the book? She cares about her hips, her breasts, her haunches, her reflection, the sexual desire she arouses in men. She's living at the level of an animal. And the amount of suffering most of us have to go through to leave the animal behind, to leave the R-selected and get to the K-selected, to leave the body and achieve the mind. Not leave the body like the body's still an essential part. I like to exercise and all of that, but yeah, a lot of suffering has to go through to let go of the material and to get to the conceptual. The essence of who we are as creatures is conceptual, not physical. And we can only really be loved. Thank you, uh, Billy. I appreciate the tip. We can only be loved for the intellect. We cannot be loved for the body. We can be lusted after for the body, and I have no problem with lust. I mean, we can be lusted after for the body, but we can only be loved for our minds, for our spirits, for our souls, so to speak, for our virtues. And so wanting to be lusted after is a mark of the mammal. And wanting to be appreciated for your virtues and lusted after is the mark. All right? it, it's a false dichotomy, the mind-body dichotomy, right? So the mind-body dichotomy says that the ultimate value to us is not physical, right? As moral, spiritual, soul, or whatever. Versus the, the body is uh, the, the hedonism and the satisfaction of the flesh is the greatest good. And uh, I really, really like to cross this divide. I like to have 
a leg in both camps, so to speak. So that my balls can hang on either eavesdrop. So, yes, you made it. Welcome in. Good evening. Sorry, I was talking about my balls. But, you know, when you have 19 of them, they're a little distracting when you try to cross your legs. And it's like squeezing the bottom of a cup of overfull boba. Boba balls. Should I just keep doing, just making testicle jokes all night? I don't know. It's hard to say. It's really hard to say. Welcome, welcome. Let's get to, yeah, if you can share the feed far and wide, I would appreciate that. Hello, hello, Jungle Jake. Welcome back. Welcome back, Taylor. I appreciate that. I will take questions from there. I will take questions wherever it happens to work best for you. Do my balls hang low? Do they wiggle to and fro? <laughs> Can I tie them in or not? Can I tie them in a bow? Do my balls hang low? It's uh, interesting. Um, the, if you see two escalators in a big building on the indoors, that's them. Up and down. Up and down. And occasionally in a tight spiral if I'm watching too much football. So, yeah, it's uh, just the way it rolls. Um, spirals. Twists. Mobius strip of masculinity. That's really what my t-shirt is. So. Welcome, welcome, welcome. All right. I'm going to just want to wait for the questions to accumulate. As we go deep into the hinterlands of testicle philosophy, I will. <laughs> As I saw this meme, ordering your last meal before the electric chair and the prison guard turns the phone to you and it says, leave a tip, leave a tip, 25%, 15 So that's kind of true. Actually, I was talking to a friend of mine who works in the financial industry and he said that the reason that tips have gone kind of nuts these days, I mean, I get this, there's inflation and all of that, but it's that everyone orders these like iPad point of sale things and tips because they started out in the world of um, uh, restaurants or really service oriented areas. The tips thing is just on by default and people just they either don't know how to turn it off or they just leave it on to see what will happen. And it's, I guess, a little bit extra money for their workers, but it's not a conscious choice that everyone's just deciding to do all this tips thing. It just comes with that turned on by default. And people just leave it on. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm half and half. Honestly, I am absolutely half and half about the tips. I am half and half. Um, part of me is like, you know, they're working hard. A couple of bucks makes a big difference to them. And I'm going to encourage that. Uh, but part of me is also when I grew up, uh, 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 tipping was for like 10% tip was okay if you got something really exceptional, maybe 15. Now it all starts at 15 and goes up to 25, and it's for a drive through A drive through they will ask you to tip. So again, part of me is like, you know, keep the money circulating. It's a good thing. They work hard. Another part of me is, well, this is just kind of excessive, and it's masking up inflation. People need to get annoyed about inflation. Oh, it's too soon. Is it too soon to rent? T-S-T-R. Is it too soon to rant? Is it too soon to rant? It is, probably. Don't we need a little conversation before we go? We need to get all kinds of rant intimate. Rantimate. It is too, too close to rantimate. It's too, too, too close, right? Too soon. Get to know each other a little bit better. Oil ourselves up a little, little light stretching. Never. Do you mean never rant or it's never too soon? All right, the great instigators do it. The great instigators have spoken, and the rant shall commence. All right, hit me with a Y. 
That's basically the philosophy demon in my head. Hit me with a why. So hit me with a why. If you have ever seen a woman on social media doing a short video, or was in her car for some reason, where she rants about the prices of things. Have you ever seen that video? Things are so pricey. Can we discuss 1B schools in Ontario? I don't know. Yes, you have, right? So, you thought for a moment a rant was actually stopped? Yeah, yeah. So, the videos are always kind of the same. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't drink out that much, and I don't, like, go to Starbucks very much. But I just like went to Starbucks, I got like a medium coffee and a croissant, and it was like 12 bucks, and then they had the audacity to actually ask me for a tip, and it's like insane, it's crazy, what is going on with all these prices, it's wrong, it's somebody fix it, somebody needs to do something, this is crazy, right, so you get this general thing. Now, listen, I understand that people don't need to be Murray Rothbard or Tom Sowell or... Kriegman, uh, Krugman, or, or anybody, Walter Block, anybody who understands the basics of economics, you don't need to be that. But, uh, you know, I've got a little something that I would like to say to all of the people complaining about the high prices of things. Stop voting for government spending money on everything. You know, that's just, just my little thought. Put the voter greed card down. Just step back from the voting booth, stop voting for governments to spend money on everything, and maybe your money will stop inflating like a Vegas stripper's tits, okay? Just maybe, just maybe step back from the rubber genie's balls three times wish for everything for free voting booth. Stop voting to give money to everyone and everything all the time. Stop voting for the government to print money. Stop voting for all of this. And maybe, just maybe, prices won't go up like your average middle-aged guy thinking of market rugby. I'm just saying maybe. It's just something to think about. It's so weird. Like, I voted for all this free stuff. And, like, my money is, like, worth less. I don't... Uh, my brain is not braining. It does not seem to be achieving brainness. My thoughts are not thinking. My intellect is devouring itself, Mobius strip style. And I just, um, I can't uh, figure it out. Uh, it's not the 19th. Come on, you don't think men vote for a lot of free shit, too? I mean, all the sex addicts voting for free STD treatments and free abortions and all the men who uh, vote for war, endless war, tough guy war, cool stuff flying overhead, half flickering in and out of existence. What is it, the old... P.G. O'Rourke line, some tomahawk missile rising up out of the ocean like hell's own hard-on. Now that's the way to waste government money. Oh, my God. I mean, it's so weird. I mean, I voted for 
more money for immigration. I voted for more money for the welfare state. I voted for more money for overseas spending. I voted Slava Ukraine. I voted for all of this cool stuff. And I didn't see my taxes go up. And apparently the magic genie fairy just produces money out of his ass that has no effect on mine. My taxes didn't go up. And my money seems to be losing value. What the hell? I want more student subsidies. Oh, and I want absolute subsidies for women so they can go back to work because making PowerPoints is way better than raising babies. I wanted all this free stuff, and now the price of everything is going up. Like the question marks at the end of my sentence? My God. My God. It's so weird. <laughs> I mean, okay. I mean, look, is it is it really is it really that complicated, right? Let's let's try this as an experiment, right? Uh what? Uh what causes inflation? What causes inflation? I'm just, you know, I know. But you know, what's the general normie answer? You just type this in, right? <laughs> what causes inflation? Uh Uh, fiscal policy contributed to the inflation. Inflation occurs when the prices of goods and services increase over a long period of time, causing your purchasing power to disagree. To right, what causes inflation? Uh, what causes investopedia? What causes inflation? Now maybe there is a whole bunch of nonsense about it. Probably is. Central banks of developed economy, inflation targets. Uh, inflation can be a concern. Oh, well, thank you. Inflation is a concern. <laughs> Fiscal policy. Yeah, yeah. So, and what is, so, yeah, let me just see here. Expansionary fiscal policy by governments can increase the amount of discretionary income for both businesses and consumers. If a government cuts taxes, businesses may spend it on capital improvements, blah, blah, blah. Uh, an expansionary fiscal policy can spur inflation. Yep. Government's printing too much money. It's right there. Right there. So, I mean, I could actually go and look it up, but I think I'd rather complain. I'd rather just complain. Oh, my God. <laughs> rather than learn things. I'm just going to complain. Now, I will say this, you know, love women, love you all. Thank you so much for having us. But uh, there is a tiny, tiny, tiny little thing, a tiny, tiny little thing about women. Sometimes, just occasionally, maybe it's 50.1% more than, you know, the 49.9% for, for men. Tiny, if you've seen this phenomenon, let me know. I could be being completely unjust. Have you ever seen that women, occasionally, would rather complain than study. Like, rather than trying to figure out what the cause of a phenomenon is, they will complain about its manifestation. Uh, no, Milton Friedman did not teach you all about inflation. Do you know what taught you all about inflation? Me taking my shirt off and flexing. I taught you all about inflation that you ever needed to know. Yeah, like complain rather than study, complain rather than learn.
Prices are too high. Someone do something. You know, you're a voter. You could do something. <laughs> uh, are you hosting or attending any in-person events in the States this year? Maybe. We'll, uh, we'll put the feelers out. Nag the man until the problem magically <laughs> gets solved. Could be, uh, could be a little bit. You're going to need another lesson? You're luring me to take my, my shirt off. Well, I exercise today. Just maybe, maybe over the course of this evening, you get uh, the Steph Bot small arms fire gun show. You know, just putting that in there for the NSA. So, yeah, complain. Complain. Also, uh, you know, tried, tried to, uh, uh, had to go and get my driver's license renewed today. Saw four women to get my driver's license renewed. Saw four women. I had to see four, I had to line up and see four women to get my driver's license renewed. <laughs> God, oh my God. What can you do? One woman to check you in, another woman to check you in again and give you a number, another woman to take down your data and your photo, and another woman to give you your driver's license. I'm so glad everyone's out there pushing papers rather than having children. I can't imagine why the birth rate is down. <laughs> Did I see the James O'Keefe? Gay man disguise? Was, was he, didn't he just have glasses on? Like the whole theory about Superman, you know? Ah, that's Steph. Glasses on. I have no idea who that is. Could be a giant egg with bad vision. I don't know. But yeah, I did see that. I did see that. Oh my gosh. So yeah, so then uh, my, my daughter wanted to go to the grocery store with my wife. I didn't want to go to the grocery store, so I thought, oh, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a phone store that is my phone provider. I'll go in and I'll, you know, I'll see if there are any upgrades. I probably don't really want anything. But, you know, just in case there's some magical cool upgrade. I've had my phone for, I don't know, four years or something like that. So, you know, maybe, 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 right? So I go in and they're like, ah, well, you'll have to give us your, your pin. And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess uh, I, so I check my phone. And it's like, I dig around and I was like, oh, I do have the pin. No, that pin doesn't work. It's like, this is the pin that I wrote down when I haven't changed it. Well, it doesn't work. Okay. And this is the modern world. You just get whittled down to nothing. To a twiddling, twaddling, goopy, tremulous, massive jellyfish exhaustion just wears you down. So they're like, well, it's no briggy. We can send you the pin. Okay, send me the pin. Ah, but now I'm going to need another four-digit number based upon X, Y, and Z, right? So I, I called my wife, and she says, oh, here's the other number. Oh, that doesn't work. Okay. So then I, I log into my account on my phone, and it says, here are your security things, and nothing's there, and I can't change it. So then they're like, Oh, but you can just call this number and customer support can help you. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not, you know what it's like when you try to get involved, you try to do some security thing with customer support. You, you know what happens, right? You're on hold. Oh, no, uh, sorry, this is the wrong kind of account. You got to go and talk to this, uh, this person. 
And I'm like, I'm here. I have all the ID in the known universe right here on me because I just got my driver's license renewed. You can see me. Can you get me into my account? No. Ah, uh, systems over sense. It's all systems over sense, right? So, uh, you know, minor economic thing as a whole. I, I mean, maybe I would have upgraded my phone. Maybe, just maybe. maybe oh, I might have upgraded my phone. I like new techie stuff. It's fun. Might have upgraded my phone. But it's like barrier after barrier after barrier. Nope, I just left. I just walked out. I'll just stick with my phone because I am not, I am absolutely not going to be spending 45 minutes on customer support to get back into my account. Maybe so I can upgrade something at some point. Nope. Just, you know, and it's, it's tough living in a low trust society, isn't it? I, mean, I grew up, I grew up in a high trust society, man. I grew up in a high trust society. You knew everyone, you chatted with everyone, people extended you credit, people would let you into your bank account just by looking at you. I grew up in a high-trust society. From the age of three or four onwards, I could travel all over London, I could go to swimming pools, uh, I could go to football games, I could go to the War Museum, I could go to the Natural History Museum. It was four pennies to get on the bus and I just roamed around. Never any problems, never any challenges, never any issues. I grew up in a high-trust society. All of this, no, oh, ooh, you, like, you know all of this shit is there because everyone's stealing like hell. Everyone is just stealing like hell. So you've got all of these stupid barriers that you have to get through just to get anything done. <laughs> right, maybe Putnam's book is called Bowling Alone because of all the damn pins. Oh, that is a layered joke, man. That is some quality joke layers. And I, I honestly, I miss it. I miss it. If you ever want to do something wild, and maybe you have done this, but if you ever want to do something wild, have a conversation with your female friends about how they feel in the city, particularly at night. Just have a try having a chat with them and see what it's like. Oh. Uh, it's, it's brutal. It's brutal. It's, it's really, it's terrifying how scary, particularly for women, Western society has become. I mean, have you seen all of these, these women, they go to, hey, I'm in Japan. I'm in Japan and it's uh, incredible. I can walk anywhere at any time, day or night. I feel no fear. In Japan, it's incredibly safe. Yes. And then nobody wants to jump over those minefield ellipses, right? Because right? it's so incredibly safe. Dot, dot, dot. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. Who knows? But the prices are so high. <laughs> what can I tell you? Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah, I'd love to visit Japan. I think it's great. Very interesting. Somebody says, I feel like a hemorrhage 
brain cells when I chat with people that support that crap and then complain about higher prices regarding voting for free stuff. Yeah. Well, in my documentary on Sunset of the Golden State, my documentary on California, I confronted the LA City Council about how they were going to pay for everything they promised. I was hustled out of there pretty quick. I'm sorry. We don't do numbers. We do sophistry. We do, we do promises. We don't do delivery. Well, we deliver, yeah. Then, and then I went to another um, meeting where a bunch of uh, people from the Asian community were uh, talking, uh, complaining to the police chief about they can't walk down the street because people keep stealing their cell phones. The solution? Don't take your cell phone. This is where we're at. Sorry, the criminals have to have free reign. you got to have to stay home. Sorry about that. You know, it's just the way things are. We wouldn't want to upset the criminals now, would we? So you, you're just going to have to stay home. Yeah, remember all of that out, outside time you had? Come on, man. Give the criminals the streets. You take, you take Netflix. It's a fair trade. Give them all of the outdoor areas. Give them the big blue room with the flesh people. And uh, yeah, you, uh, you just stay, stay the F inside. What were you doing carrying something expensive? What are you, insane? What was it? Uh, there was some guy on Twitter who's like, hey, man, this is the price of living in a big city. Not in Tokyo, it's not. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're working hard to wreck Japan, sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I was in San Francisco. They're leaving their cars wide open because people are just smashing stuff and taking stuff. Yeah. Well, Japan is also working hard to destroy Japan as well. It's like no birth rate. No birth rate. People don't seem to want to fuck if they're not fighting. It's just a sad part of human nature. Walked across street from an inner city school today. Three fights during one 15-minute recess. Only three. Only three. That's probably a step up. Everybody wants to complain. Nobody wants the answers. Everybody wants to complain. Nobody wants any answers. It's like, hey, I mean, I get it. The world doesn't want answers, so... Uh, I am out of the arena. I am out of the arena. You know, you really, you got to quit smoking. No, 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 no. I'm really angry at the shortness of breath, and I'm really angry when the elevators are out. And I'm really angry when I have to walk from one bus stop to the other. I'm really angry at that. Someone ought to do something, but you could quit smoking. Well, you're just a nicotinist. You just hate nicotine. You hate nicotine, you hate smokers. No, I actually care about you. That's why you should quit smoke. You are such a bigot. What do you have against tobacco farmers? What do you have against people who just enjoy, you know, tobacco is a natural product, man. It's all natural. It's nature's herb. What the hell's the matter with you? Well, no, it's just that you're complaining about being short of breath and, you know, you could quit smoking and. You could exercise some. I, this is so offensive. I'm so offended, I can't even tell you. How dare you blame me for this phenomenon of being short of breath? The problem is the system. It doesn't give me a jetpack. That's the problem. You probably paid for. Yeah, I mean, you probably, 
you're probably pay, bought and paid for by the anti-nicotine bigotry group. You're like, a, you know what you are? I'll tell you what you are. When you see people genuinely struggling, having difficulty breathing, you're a fresh air supremacist man. That's all you are. And I, I, I hate to say it because, you know, I don't like to condemn people, but mask off, man, you've revealed who you truly are. You are a fresh air supremacist. You're an O2cist. I can't, I can't talk to you, man. I can't. I can't even. <laughs> ah, let's see here. Um, do you and your wife have a physical and emotional boundaries with members of the opposite sex? If so, what are they? And why do you find, both find them valuable to have sex? I'm not sure. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not trying to play dumb here. I never have to play dumb. I'm just myself. Do you and your wife have physical and emotional boundaries as members of the opposite sex? Um, Japanese home improvement stores have supplies out of the open outside for anyone to grab. It works on an honor system. Yeah, Northern Ontario. You go to a small town and there's like a Lend Library. Books are out there. And you, sometimes there are unattended garage sales. There's a little jar you put your money in. Oh, yeah. High trust, high, high trust societies are as close to heaven as the mortal realm is capable of. And, uh, but the problem with high trust societies is low trust people want to come in and exploit them. It's just sad. So uh, I'm not sure what you mean by physical and emotional boundaries. So, of course, you know, I mean, I have my female friends and all that. And when we hug, you do the 45-degree hug, right? You, just, uh, you put the tape measure, can Jesus fit between us, right? No, you do the 45-degree hug. I, I want to give hugs to people, but, you know, I hug the guys and I hug the girls, 45 degrees and all of that. And um, I don't know, physical boundaries? I mean, I'm not going to give my female friends foot rubs, neither would I want to. So... I mean, I, I, you know, little, little hugs here and there, that's about it. Um, but I don't know what you mean by emotional boundaries. I mean, my wife is my absolute best friend, and uh, there's nothing I won't talk to her about, but with regards, like, when you have someone who knows you that well and is always happy to hear what you have to say, why would you go anywhere else, so to speak, right? Right? Why would you? Why would you go anywhere else? If your favorite band, if your favorite band is playing next door for free, why would you go anywhere else that evening? <laughs> Even from the past, Freddie Mercury back from the dead, caterwauling in his falsetto. So, uh, I don't know about emotional boundaries. I mean, if I want to talk about something, I'll talk about it with my wife. I mean, she knows me the best of anyone maybe even of me, right? She knows me the best of every, anyone. She's always happy to hear, always has great advice, always had great thoughts. Uh, the feeling is mutual. She loves chatting with me about stuff. So, you know, very often we'll sit there, uh, sometimes we'll sit there, hey, where do you want to go tonight? Or what do you want to do tonight? And we just end up chatting and that's how we spend our evening. And it's just, it's lovely. So I don't know what you, quite what you mean. Again, I'm not trying to be dumb about emotional boundaries. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't have any, you know, I, when she's so great to chat with and has such great thoughts, why would I talk to anyone else about, I don't know, feelings, thoughts, problems, like she's right there. <laughs> why would I? 
you know. What, what is the old Paul Newman line about his wife, Joanne Woodward? It's like people say, oh, you're very faithful. He's like, well, why would I go out for hamburger when I got steak at home? So to speak, right? So I'm not sure. Like, I wouldn't have any particular urge to go and talk about. I mean, I have nothing to complain about in my marriage. She's, and I tell her that regularly. Like, I have no complaints. Like, how could I possibly? Is there anything that you do that bothers me? That I do that bothers you? No, no, of course not. Like, I have, I have absolutely no complaints. And so I'm certainly not going to go and complain to my wife about my wife to someone because she's fantastic. And she doesn't, obviously wouldn't, wouldn't complain about me to someone else. So what else would I talk about? I really don't have that many problems. So let's see here. Uh, so uh, this is a clarification. I mean, like if you or her intentionally avoid certain physical or emotional connections with members of the opposite sex, sex would be a specific physical boundary. Yes. Emotional boundary would be only combining certain topics with your wife. Again, I, I, I can't imagine, like, why would I go to someone who knows me less well and impose upon her time when my wife knows me better than anyone and is always happy to chat? Do, do you see what I mean? Like, why, like, if you're hungry and your favorite restaurant is right next door, why would you drive across town to a worse restaurant? And I don't mean like my friends are bad. It's just like they wouldn't know me as well. They wouldn't have the history, right? And of course, so there's a thing too, right? The more you confide in someone, the easier it is to get good advice, right? So my wife and I have had conversations about everything under the sun for 21, 22 years, I guess now. What if your wife isn't always happy to chat? But my wife is always happy to chat, aren't you? I mean, with someone you really care about and love. If my wife says, hey, let's go for a walk and a chat, I mean, unless I'm currently in the middle of something or about to do something, it's like, yeah. Like, <laughs> why wouldn't you be happy to chat? I mean, if she's happy, she wants to chat. If, for whatever reason, and she's a very buoyant and happy person, if she wasn't happy for some reason, there would be something to talk about, which is, hey, what's going on, right? So, I don't know. My wife, I can't imagine something being important to my wife that she wants to chat or something being important to me and she wouldn't, I can't, can't imagine not wanting to talk about something that she wants to talk about or vice versa. So I don't, uh, I don't quite follow. Uh, does your wife ever listen to the show or call in? No. As a woman in this community, I'm very interested in your other half. Would you ever do shows together in the future? No, I don't think so. Um, no, she would, we wouldn't. Um, unless you have something urgent or a migraine or whatever. She doesn't get migraine. I mean, I'm sorry, I know you're saying it. it's like, unless you have something urgent. Um, yeah, okay, but there's nothing wrong with waiting. Like, I, I'm never like, I have to chat with someone. If my wife isn't available, I'll call the wife of a friend of mine. It's like, that's not right. I don't understand cheaters. The thought of betraying someone's trust is horrible to me. You don't understand cheaters. Sorry, I'm not sure I understand. What don't you understand about cheaters? I mean, understanding is not approving. I, I can understand communism. That doesn't mean I approve of it, but you wouldn't you want to understand it in order to oppose it? Again, I'm sorry to be 
Um, what do you mean you don't understand cheaters? Can, can you not think of a circumstance in which even a decent guy might end up cheating? Like, there's no circumstance by which you can imagine a decent guy might end up cheating. I can certainly think of those scenarios. I can. I'm, again, I'm not saying I approve, but how they could do such a horrible thing. Well, how do you know that they're initiating the horrible thing? Right? How do you know that they are initiating a horrible thing? You wouldn't want to see someone's actions in isolation. That's how we end up condemning people. Right? So, one of the big problems that goes on in society is people have absolutely different facts. Right? Absolutely different facts, right? Cause of crime. People say poverty causes crime. That's not true. That's statistically not true. I did a show with Dr. Kevin Beaver years ago about all of this. You can look it up at fdrpodcast.com. It's absolutely not true that poverty causes crime. What is true is that crime causes poverty. So if you believe that people are criminals because they're poor, well, of course, you haven't thought about it critically. So the, the moment you get an idea or an insight or a thought, or particularly if you're fed something from the media, the first thing you want to do is look for counterexamples. Right? So, oh, poverty, poverty causes crime. Okay. So what's the poorest area in America? The Appalachians. What is the crime rate in Appalachia? Oh, it's very low. Okay, so poverty doesn't cause crime. Um, of course, how could we ever have gotten wealth, if poverty causes crime, and throughout most of human history, we're almost infinitely poorer than we are today, then there would have been nothing but crime. So people have different information. So people, the people who think poverty causes crime say, oh, well, we can stop crime by giving poor people money. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You give poor people money, you dissolve the family, you dissolve the work ethic, you dissolve the society. So... So people have different information. Now, the way that we condemn people is we say that their information is emotionally driven by the confirmation bias of bigotry. Right? That's, that's how we end up. This is literally how wars start. I'm not just flame wars, like literal wars start. So we say, oh, if you're, in possession, uh, if, you're in a position, if you're in possession of an opinion that I consider abhorrent, I will never look at the source of that. I will only condemn you rather than look at the source of your thoughts. I'm, all I will do is condemn you. I've had some morally questionable people on my show over the years, and it would be relatively simple for me to just say, ooh, you bad, you bad, bad person. But I, what I want to do is know what the thoughts are behind what it is that they're doing. Because to me, condemning people without understanding them is a truly idiotic, dangerous, reprehensible, and often vile game. Just condemning people without understanding why they think what they think. Now, if I'm in a debate, that's a different matter. That tends to be more combative and so on, and that's fine. That's really for the audience. But Try to understand where people are uh, coming from. You know, I've had people who've abused children. I've had people who've 
uh, gone to prostitutes. I've had people who've stolen. I've had people who've cheated. I've had people who've just done terrible things. And I'm not in the business of just condemning them without understanding where things come from. And nothing human is alien to me. This is an old statement I remember reading. Um, a family member many years ago gave me a book of philosophical quotations that I read from regularly. It was very stimulating for thought. Nothing human is alien to me. So with regards to cheaters, you can, of course, just condemn them as evil homewreckers. Okay, I get that. I get that. Right. I understand that. But playing the condemnation game is usually a vanity exercise. I am so moral, you see, that the motivations of people I condemn are completely incomprehensible to me because I'm just such a wonderful... It's, it's a form of, of posturing. It's a form of moral posturing to say that immoral people are completely incomprehensible. I mean, I, I did the truth about Charles Manson where I went into his childhood raised and beaten, raised by a drug-addicted prostitute, beaten and, right? So this, that's, that's not to excuse, it's to understand. And to understand, so to fix, right? It's, I mean, it's, it's one of the, I mean, there's a number of marks of people like they're just not smart enough to, to, to deal with. Would you, would you like, would that be of interest to you? Like what are the marks of just people who uh, just aren't smart enough to deal with? And, you know, we can have sympathy with this, and I understand it. We can have sympathy. I understand all of that. But it is important to know what it is. But yes, of course, don't forget, if you subscribe, freedomain.locals.com or subscribestar.com slash freedomain, you do get access to StephBot AI, which is pretty finely tuned at this point. Okay, so, so things I look for, uh, things I look for, um, the obvious one is exceptions to generalities. Exceptions to generalities is just, it's just low IQ. I mean, you, 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 can't, you can't deal with that, right? You know, the old, men are taller than women on average. Well, I know a woman who's taller than, right? They just can't process an abstraction. They can't process an understanding. And they don't, they, they think that their own personal response, their own personal empirical experience, and an exception somehow disproves the rule. So somebody who thinks an exception disproves a rule, they're basically mistaking syllogistical reasoning for inductive. Deductive reasoning, which is 100% to inductive reasoning. Inductive reasoning is looking for trends and probabilities and so on. Deductive reasoning is 100%, right? Uh, um, all men are mortal. Socrates is a man, therefore Socrates is mortal. So they, they, they don't even know the difference. And you don't have to know this abstractly. You just kind of have to know this, right? So they don't know the difference between deductive reasoning and syllogistical reasoning. So when you say, when you say, if I had to place a bet on the next person walking through the door being tall, I would bet more on a man than a woman, right? I would bet more that the man was tall than if I knew a man was coming through, I'd bet more that he was tall than if a woman was coming through, I wouldn't bet as much, right? Or Asians versus Danes or whatever you want to call it, right? So you say, on probability, this is what I would bet. 
And then they say, but you can't know for sure. That's a, just an attempt to score pathetic points. It's an absolute inability to think in terms of probabilities. So that's one thing I look for. People who just, they think that you make a generality and the first thing they do is push back, right? Right, like this, this famous meme, um, which is, you know, women tend to think that an exception to a general rule disproves the rule, right? And the first woman to reply is, well, I'm a woman and I don't do that. <laughs> and again, men do it too, but it was just a funny example. So I do that, uh, obviously per capita, per capita. If you can only deal in absolute numbers and you can't understand per capita, then, um, I, sorry, just can't, just can't do it. Uh, people who don't read, uh, people who don't read, uh, if you, all you do is play video games and watch videos, I'm not going to have much to say to you because if you're not reading, you're not empathizing, you're not um, curious about the human condition, you're not curious about human nature. Another thing that I immediately will dismiss people for is if they've never read counterexamples to their own arguments, right? Somebody says X, right? And I say, oh, what are the arguments against it? There are no arguments against it. I mean, it's just is, right? Like I had a guy, I mean, I believe that the world is a sphere. And uh, I had a guy on, debated him for like an hour and a half on the flat earth, right? Yeah, great. Do it, man. Bring it on, man. You, you want to debate property rights with ethics, reality? Bring it on. Want to debate free market versus, we'll debate. So if people are absolutely certain, and I will ask them in person, oh, have you, like, what, what counterexamples have you read? What? Like, they are then an NPC. The NPCs can't handle counterexamples. They view counterexamples. Do audiobooks count in the people who don't read? I think audiobooks are okay. Uh, I, I, yeah. So if somebody is absolutely unaware of counterexamples or views, so small minds view counterexamples as immoral, right? So virtue is X. Anything which questions, undermines, opposes, or challenges X is evil, right? It's the modern equivalent of heresy. People who are unable to understand that the opposite position might have a point and might have a virtue, right? So people who are just like, well, what I believe is virtuous and everything that is the opposite is evil and immoral and is populated by bigots and blah, 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 blah. So people who can't, like, hey, I understand communists have a point. I understand communists do have a point. It does seem like when the boss takes a bunch of money from you and sits in his office on the phone and you're actually out there working, I understand that that can feel unjust, that can seem unjust. So people who can't conceive that the opposite view or the opposing view might have a point might have some data and needs to be met in the realm of data. People who attack motivations rather than data or arguments, right? They call it uh, um, playing the, the man, not the ball, right? So you play the ball in, in football, you're playing the man, not the ball, right? So people who say, if somebody has an opposing argument, they say, you're a bigot, I don't care what your data is, right? People who think that arguments from authority, well, you're quoting this data, but there's this expert in the field who says the opposite. 
I don't care. I'm old enough to remember when experts were totally right about things they turned out to be totally wrong about. I mean, if you're young, maybe you've been around a bunch of experts that haven't yet to be disproven, but once you pass the age of, I don't know, 16 fucking months, then you notice that the, quote, experts are reliably wrong about just about everything and anything under sun, moon, and God. The idea that there are experts out there who've written something down and therefore it's gospel, it is so funny because this, of course, is what the atheists seem to hate about the Christians. Well, you just have a book wherein it's written down and you just have to believe it. Really? But the book is about principles, commandments, not conclusions. The Bible doesn't say, well, you've got to wake up at 6.30 every morning and then you've got to do jumping jacks. It's like, hey, how about you don't steal and, and murder and don't envy your neighbors too much and don't lie. It's, you know. I mean, you think the atheists would have some humility because the Christians were kind of right about COVID. Kind of right about COVID in some ways, or kind of right about the vaccines in some ways. They had some reasons to be hesitant as the data is coming out. And yet, I've yet to see a single atheist say, huh, boy, you know, they may have accidentally been right about something. Uh, we should examine that. So anybody who says, well, you have all this data, but there's this expert who's peer-reviewed and published who's right because he's an expert. Fuck that. That's so retarded. That's confirmation bias. Do you know, and this is at a very conservative estimate, do you know how many scientific papers had to be retracted last year? Retracted! Because they were so infinitely full of bullshit, even modern bullshit government-subsidized, paid-for science couldn't stomach it. Do you know how many papers that were peer-reviewed and data-checked had to be completely retracted? I think it was over 10,000. No, no, peer-reviewed. Peer-reviewed is not like the Pope said so, but it's become that way. I, I, I wrote about this and, and did shows about this years and years and years ago, the replication crisis. Vast swaths of social science bedrock truths can't be reproduced. You know, we showed people pictures and movies of old people and then we measured them walking down the hall and they walked slower. No. I'm old enough to remember when experts said that eggs were fatal. I'm old enough to remember that the sugar industry bribed scientists to say the problem is fat, not sugar. I'm old enough to remember four out of five doctors recommending particular cigarettes. I'm old enough to remember global cooling. Remember, global, oh, we're just going to go into a new ice age. I mean, in many ways, particularly government-funded scientists of the modern priesthood of falsification. 
we don't have a scientific system. We have a centralized control government pseudoscience bribery network. In my opinion. Yeah, X quite the roller coaster in the health world. I remember when everyone, all the experts in the known universe thought that stomach ulcers were the result of stress. And you see all these Jack Lemmon movies, you go to go band acids because you've got a, such a stressful job and oh, it's going to kill my ulcer. It became a trope. Everyone believed that stomach ulcers are caused by stress. Nope. A guy actually gave himself the bacterial infection and then cured it to show that they're caused by a certain bacteria. You just need antibiotics, not antacids. Yeah, scientists tend to agree with whoever's funding them. Yeah. For sure. <sighs> but people who can't debate and can't argue and then appeal to science as this magic, you know, I mean, this science being a vehicle for lies goes all the way back to communism, which of course was called scientific socialism. Scientific socialism. So, I mean, according to scientific socialism or communism, the middle class was supposed to get destroyed and you were supposed to end up with a massive swath of dirt poor proletariat and a tiny number of wealthy capitalists. And that is the complete opposite of what happened over the course of the 19th century. So they had a prediction. Turned out to be completely the opposite. What actually happened, the middle class swelled, the number of proletariat poor diminished and the number of rich people also diminished. Totally false. They made endless amounts of predictions. Capital is going to con- capital is going to concentrate in the hands of fewer and fewer people. Nope, middle class, and the middle class has always been the traditional enemy of socialism and communism, which is why the elites tried to destroy small businesses during lockdowns. See, I have more respect for Christianity than most of modern science. I'm going to be straight up about this. And I love science. I love the methodology of science. Absolutely adore the metaphysical and epistemological methodology of science. It is one of the most glorious. Like science and the free market are the two most glorious inventions in the history of human life, human society. The free market, self-ownership, the free market includes property rights, which eliminate slavery and science. Love, love, love science. And what has science, what has been done to science by the state? Oof. Science, through the power of the state, has been turned into a brutal cult of subjugation, falsehood, manipulation, and domination. It's brutal. So, yeah, people who just appeal to, hey, a scientist said, are you a scientist? No, then the scientist is right. What about the scientists who disagree with each other? No. Is most North American science funding dictated by government interests? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, completely, and totally. Yeah, no question. Uh, the, the government controls entry into the science through, through accreditation. Uh, the government controls the vast majority of the budget for science. Uh, the government uh, uh, controls, I mean, look at, look at how much uh, billions was it that Fauci controlled? I mean, my God. 
It's it's a it's a far worse falsification hierarchy than the church in Christianity can ever be. Because with the church in Christianity, you can read the Bible for yourself. And there are principles that you can live by. And you can pray to God. So no, I mean, I, outside of Catholicism, right? Or a couple of other ones where there's this titular head. Go to some, oh, well, a, a scientist says X, and therefore you're wrong, you're not a scientist. And say, oh, well, you're an atheist, but a priest says that God exists, and therefore you, you're wrong because there's a priest. Listen, man. Have you studied religion for 30 years? No, this priest has. Therefore, he believes in God. Therefore, like, they would never accept that argument. They're not the new priests because the new priests allow the congregation to think for themselves and are more consultants than dictators. No, no, no. The scientists are the way old priests. They are the witch doctors who validate the powers that be. Yeah, no, and I, I love science. I love the methodology. I, it is one of the most noble pursuits that human beings can ever undertake is the pursuit of scientific knowledge. But coercion always produces the opposite of its stated intentions. Coercion always produces the opposite of its stated intentions. And most science in the modern world, in the modern West, most science is coercive. Most science is coercive. I mean, there's, there's some science is practical and, and customer-focused. But that's called engineering. <laughs> it's people, people creating the iPhone. That's engineering. Engineering is generally, I mean, other than when it's worked for by the government, but engineering is the science that has practical value in the free market. I mean, uh, you remember um, James Watson, right? Co-discoverer with Crick of DNA, right? One of the most decorated, respected, fantastic biologists in the world. And he got deplatformed for comments about IQ. He got deplatformed, stripped of his Nobel Prize, I think it was, and, and kicked out. Now, he was one of the most foremost cancer researchers in the world. He was one of the most respected and foremost and skilled and able and competent cancer researchers in the world. So in the modern world, people would rather get cancer than listen to a respected biologist about IQ. People would literally, literally, people would rather get cancer than listen to someone who's an expert. Well, I mean, what could you... You can't say anything to people like that. All right, let's look at this. Percentage. I have too many keyboards, so I can never type well. It's just a really, really sad thing. I've, I've just, I used to be a really fast typist because I just had one keyboard. Now I've got different keyboards. I've got different phones, different size tablets, or a different size tablet. I just can't type. My, my, everything's off. It was just... Percentage, uh, science, funding, government. 
<sighs> I don't even think it's going to be uh, easy to get, right? Yeah, because it just tells you how much the funding is, right? US R&D increased to 789 billion. But does that include private funding of private R&D? All right. Sorry, Jared if, or James, if I can just toss this over to you, if you could give me some kind of sense of how much spending in science comes from the government. Yeah, and also I've had laptops over the years. Some of, I've got one laptop. I had one laptop that was big enough to have even a uh, numeric keypad and another one that was really kind of cramped and tiny. And some have shift keys here and some have control keys over there. And it's just oh, crazy. You will be an even faster typist if you get Elon Musk's Neuralink chip. I'm pretty happy in my own little mode of skull. I'm, I'm happy just being isolated from the planet in my little mo mode of skull. Mo I, I don't think I want a Neuralink with anything. <laughs> Frankly, I don't want to be the... I don't want to be part of the internet of, of things. I just don't want to. I mean, my God, what if, what if it goes the other way and they see what I think? <laughs> okay, I'll just arrest myself. Uh, tips, anybody? Uh, it's, you know what? It's the end of the month. Freedomain.com slash donate if you'd like to help out the show. Remember, we have three people now. We have three people now so if you could help out i would really really appreciate it of course freedomain.com slash donate to help out the show i would really really appreciate that and you can of course join you can join you can join if you want to you can join the show freedomain.locals.com is a great community Subscribestar.com slash free domain. And the bonuses you get are truly, truly staggering. I mean, honestly, you got StephBot AI, dozens of languages you can ask and answer questions of me if English isn't your natural. You've got 22 part history of philosopher series. You've got access to the search engine for all of the premium podcasts. And there are, what, 150 premium podcasts either there or in the pipe. Amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. And different from the mainstream, I'll tell you that. And the truth about the French Revolution, the truth about sadism, some amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. We'll tip on Friday, Heavy Bills Week this week. I appreciate that. I used to call that a toucan week. Oh, Heavy Bill. Heavy Bills. Flock. A flock of toucans. I ran. I ran so far away. Gotta get away. All right. Uh, let me just drop past. Where else we've got? Comments coming in. Comments coming in. Thank you, Ma Whitley. I appreciate that. Love you, Steph, and what you do. He says, love when your daughter and you talk online. Here's money long overdue. We went to see the new Mean Girls. The musical. Have you seen, have you seen this? Have you seen this? Uh, somebody says, I will be donating. I would be donating. However, I have to torch $2,000. Hopefully no more. I have to burn. Oh, you have to burn $2,000. I'm replacing my clutch. 
Come on, man. Philosophy has to be unstoppable, not your car. <laughs> All right. No, I appreciate that. I'm sorry about that. Now, those sudden bells are brutal. Sometimes it just feels like this Mike Tyson flurry of atomic blows just land on your nads and head on a regular basis. Nathan says, thank you, Steph, for consistently adding value to my life. I'm not in a financial position to tip at the moment, but I will as soon as I am. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Why do you think those early childhood fairy tales consistently use the evil stepmother trope? I've been vetting books for my children and being reminded of this trope. With stories like Cinderella, Hansel and Gretel, Snow White, and others, I'm sure. Uh, well, there's two reasons for that. One, uh, step-parents are dangerous. On average, right? Uh, you, you know that, just, do anyone need more data about this? Step-parents are dangerous? Does anybody need data on this or need any arguments? We, we kind of know step-parents are dangerous, right? Not all, but I knew a step-parent who was living. <laughs> So, so, yeah, step-parents are dangerous, so warning children about the dangers of step-parents is really, really important, number one. Uh, number two, um, there can be a psychological splitting that happens. If you have an abusive mother, then you fantasize about a good mother. And so what you do is you fantasize about a good mother, and then you imagine that a bad mother replaced your good mother. And then you, you bond with the memory or the fantasy of your good mother. And for a lot of people, for a lot of people... Mothers can be pretty good when you're little, right? So this is true for a lot of volatile and selfish parents. They're not too bad with babies because the babies don't challenge them. They don't look at them skeptically. They don't say no. They don't argue back. They don't prick the vanity in that way. So for children who are being abused by a mean mother, let's say they're 10 or eight or six, seven or whatever, they have a dim memory. They can often have a very dim memory, maybe even a physical memory or an unconscious memory of a nicer mother in the past. Now, this is mean mother now, but there was a nicer mother in the past. My mom was nice when I was, and listen, my mom was, when I was sick, she was fantastic. I hate to say I loved being sick, but when I was sick, she was great. Man, she would, she would make up a, ca a couch for me with, with blankets. She'd get my comic books. She'd make me my Neo Citroen or whatever I would be having. And she was great. So if you have a mean mother and you have a dim memory of a nice mother, it's because one of two reasons. Either it's just a straight-up psychological split that I have a good mother out there somewhere, and what that translates to in the fairy tales is the good mother died and the, mother, uh, the father married a new mother and the new mother is mean, right? So uh, either it's psychological splitting, my mother is a bad mother and a good mother, and the bad mother killed my quote good mother or it's a dim early memory of when your mother was nicer because you weren't challenging her you weren't disagreeing with her you weren't questioning her you weren't skeptical towards her i mean you know my my daughter's 15 which means she's kind of caustic and sarcastic about everything and that's you know i've got no problem with that but i can really understand how people would right i can really understand how people would have a problem with that uh because it can be a little startling right so you have a dim memory of a nice mother and now you have a nasty mother. So what you do in the story is you say, I had a good mother who died and now I have a bad mother who's not my real mother, right? And it's a way of trying to retain your bond so that you can bond with a, the mother of your children in the future. So, and of course, step-parents are bad because they don't have the biological connection, right? They don't have the biological connection. 
Now, what's this meme I saw the other day? Uh, all of the social scientists who believe in the blank slate theory of human nature, if they ever had to get sperm donors or egg donors, would they just take a random person from the population? <laughs> no, they wouldn't. I mean, it's all just nonsense until people have some skin in the game, so to speak, right? So. Uh, somebody says, geez, I was imp. I remember at a very young age yelling at my biological mother, you're not my real mom, I want my real mom, and crying. Right, right, right. So yes, yeah, step-parents are dangerous, and a lot of people divide into good mother, bad mother, and that shows up in those, uh, in those stories. Yeah, the Mean Girls musical was strangely not, I mean, the story is okay. The story is very, obviously, woke. It's Tina Fey, right? So she's a raging liberal, I think. So, uh, yeah, the story is not that great, and it's also not that partic- not particularly uh, realistic. But it is interesting that I think I think was it in in Thirty Rock the first like she opened up. So when you are a liberal, you have to uh, pay uh, homage to the mad gods of your cult in, in order to do anything, right? You have to. So uh, was it the beginning of? Was it either Mean Girls or the beginning? Somebody can tell me if it was the beginning of 30 Rock, but something that she wrote, they started off with, you know, the homeschooled kids. Well, I, you know, Jesus fought with the dinosaurs, you know, this, this toothless hicks and, you know, this sort of stereotype of the Christian being unsophisticated and toothless and so on, right? And in this one, though, and maybe that was the same in the original, like the homeschooled girl is actually kind of wholesome and nice and good, right? So Jared says, what I have so far, still looking for a good overall estimate of how much the state influences scientific research funding. In the fiscal year 2021, the U.S. federal government invested $179.5 billion in research and development. This funding is distributed across various sectors with a significant portion going to external organizations, including industry, universities, and colleges, which collectively received almost $90 billion. Well, that's a lot. And I remember uh, when I was chief technical officer in a software company that we would apply for tax grants for doing our research and development. And I would then write up what we had done in terms of research and development. We would get tax deductions based on that. And then sometimes we would have to come in as somebody, some bureaucrat would come in and I would have to defend how it was research and development. And it was, you know, quite a challenging uh, passage. Quite a, and that's one of the reasons I did such a good job of defending that, that the guy actually gave us more credit. And it ended up, that's one of the reasons I said, yeah, you guys owe me a race. Come on, look how... I mean, I just saved you X amount of dollars, which is more than my entire salary, just in like two days. Anyway, so. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of... uh, So research and development, is that the same as science? I'm not sure that that's the same as science. Um, Because there's research and development that's more technical or engineering in nature. I'm not sure, like science funding, um, that's... Maybe, maybe, I'm sure the circles overlap, but they may not be identical. So if you can keep checking... I'd appreciate that. So, 1B Schools in Ontario uh, says, Anne, my daughter desperately wants to go to a middle school that has a unique 1B program with a focus on business and tech. What are your thoughts on these types of programs? I, I really, I'm sorry. I, my daughter's homeschooled. I don't know what a 1B school is. Um, I think formal education is pretty tough these days. It's pretty tough. I mean, it, 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 when I was a kid, it was just boring. Now I think it's actually pretty harmful in, in a lot of ways. So boring was bad enough, but I, I think it's pretty toxic these days. The ideology is so rampant. 
that it's really tough, I think, to, to maintain a positive and happy and healthy outlook on life when you're just born in this sandblasting of propaganda. When I was a kid, school was boring and irrelevant. Now it's invasive and scary, I think, in a lot of ways. So. Uh, is there a character limit? Yes. Unlike a Dostoevsky novel, there is a character limit. This keeps eating my long comments. I just typed out everything I wrote instead of cutting and pasting, and I still don't see it. Yeah, so, you know, this is a live stream. Giving me a short story may not be that helpful. I mean, maybe you can use AI to, to, to boil it down a little bit. Uh, I don't do the wall of text. I mean, this is just, a, you know, if you're going to send me an email, which is like three pages of text, sorry. Like, if, if, if you can't make it concise, you don't, you don't get my time. I'm sorry, that's just a, I'm mortal. And um, yeah. Or, you know, if people are like, hey man, I'm working on this book. It's 350 pages. I'd love to get your feedback. It's like, really? You know, they pay people for that, right? <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of funny. And why does your daughter want to go to school? A uh, regular role, I guess some kind of school. But let me just see, 1B schools in Ontario. I'm just going to look that up. I mean, I know a little bit about the baccalaureate program. Uh, oh, oh, this inter oh, this is the International Baccalaureate School. Yeah, I knew a bunch of, uh, I dated a girl who went to the International Baccalaureate when I was in college, and I knew a bunch of, a whole bunch of people I actually went to go and visit one out in, in, in the west coast of Canada here, and um, uh, they were all mental. They were all crazy. So the International Baccalaureate schools, from what I heard, I can't verify this, I don't know if it's true for sure, they seem to have a lot of problems with promiscuity and drugs. So, uh, again, whether you know or not, whether it's true or not, I don't know, and this, of course, is decades ago, so it all could have changed, but... Yeah, I don't know. I just don't know. All right, let me tittle back over, see if anybody... Tipped me on Rumble. Uh, thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, thank you. Nice to see y'all on Rumble. Hope this is of interest to you. And of course, I have more topics, but I'm here for you. If you have things you want to chat about. Yeah, so like, Total science spending in, in, you could just limit it to the U.S., total science spending, percentage of government spending, or percentage of that. Now, it may be kind of tough to get total science spending because some of it would be in co corporations that wouldn't be required to disclose this because they're not public or something like that. But maybe somebody's done some kind of estimate. But in general, government money crowds out private investment. Right, Government money crowds out private investment. So usually it's at least 60 to 70% of um, 60 to 70% of uh, money in the field, if there's government, it's going to be government. Oh, all right. Well, while you all are typing and perhaps reaching into your pockets, do you and your wife still go on dates? If so, what kind of dates? A lot of questions about the marriage. And was there a period in your relationship where you couldn't have dates or alone time in general with your wife after your daughter was born? 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we were loath to have babysitters, of course, right? And so, yeah, for many years we didn't really go out unless we went out with her. And my daughter was not, not a great person necessarily about, um, it was not the very best person to go out with because she was, uh, she never slept really. And she was just constantly active and constantly curious and wanted to sit in her lap and wanted to explore everything and wanted to be talked to and all of that. So Jimmy says, my wife is a primary school teacher and is saying that the kids coming through now are having high anxiety issues because of COVID lockdowns. Not good. Uh, yes, it's not good. And, uh, IQ issues, educational issues, it's all just been absolutely brutal. And of course, what is it? Four and a half trillion dollars basically went from the middle class to the wealthy over the course of the COVID and the lockdowns. It was a massive, massive theft of the middle class to the elites. Uh, it was absolutely predatory. And of course you would imagine that the communists, uh, oh, they're taken from the hardworking people and it's going to the elites. You think the communists would be upset about it, but nope, 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 nope. Yeah, it was uh, horrendous. So, I mean, one of the problems, of course, with COVID and the lockdowns, and what was it? I mean, the mask thing seems to have been fairly much revealed as didn't help that much, if at all. So, what the young people are seeing, like, it's the first real, for the young people, it's the first real-time hysteria. And look, I get the alpha strain of COVID was pretty nasty and could do some bad things to people. But, you know, by the time Omicron came along and so on, it was milder as far as I understood. And people saw this wild hysteria and they were all, to, all the kids were told, like this is, the, man, lie to your kids at your peril, man. All the kids were told, well, we have to, once we have the vaccine, it'll all be, yeah, the vaccine stops with you. The vaccine can't transmit. Uh, the vaccine, uh, once you get the vaccine, you can't harbor the virus, you can't transmit the virus, and you're not going to get the illness again, and so on, right? And the kids were all told this. The kids saw this everywhere. It was on social media all over the place. The parents were telling them all of this. So this is what was said. And what happened? Well, that turned out to not so much be the case, right? People who've had shots and boosters are still getting COVID, and COVID is still circulating. And COVID is still circulating and people have largely given up on masks and nobody's doing the six foot thing really anymore. And all of these stupid arrows in the supermarkets are just fading out as people scuff and all that. So kids saw this hysteria and this scapegoating and this attack and they saw people railing against the unvaccinated. And then... Oh, and, and kids were also told that um, now I'll get back to that. So kids were, were told all of this stuff that turned out not really to be the case. Oh yes, kids were also told that apparently natural immunity does, is not a thing. Natural immunity just isn't a thing anymore. Right? Because the, the question for a lot of the unvaccinated was, well, if I've already had COVID, how does a vaccine benefit me? Right? If I've already had COVID, how does a vaccine benefit me? Because if, the, if, the, if COVID mutates to the point where, the vac where natural immunity doesn't count, then won't it be the case that the vaccines don't count either? So children, the reason I think, I don't, I have no idea, obviously I have no idea. But if I had to guess, not that I have to, but I, if I, I choose to guess, 
kids are kind of freaked out because they saw society go kind of crazy, kind of hostile, kind of weird, and succumb to a lot of peer pressure and a lot of arguments from authority. And now society is not circling back to say, let's do a post-mortem on how we handled this whole thing. You know, what did we get right? What did we get wrong? Do we have anyone we need to apologize to? Do we have, uh, is there any data that even at the time went against what people were saying, like the, the health authorities? Did they have any data that was going against what they were saying to the public? Like, what about all the, the people in the media who said things that were just false about, about COVID? Like, it stops with you and you can't get it, you can't transmit it, right? All of that sort of stuff, right? So the reason that kids are freaking out, I think, is that they have seen that society is largely a bullshit madhouse. Uh, people can be very easily manipulated. They can be very easily turned on each other. They can very easily become self-righteous and screechy. They can be easily panicked. And then when it turns out that they're wrong about a bunch of stuff, they won't ever admit it. They won't ever apologize. They won't ever retract. They won't ever admit it. So for those of us with, who grew up with dysfunctional parents, there is a time when you look at your parents and you say, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know. They don't have any authority. They don't, they're barely in control of themselves. I mean, I remember my mother used to, if like we lived in a fairly old apartment building and my mother would be like, she would turn on a light, maybe the light would blow and she'd just scream and sob and say, oh, nothing works, nothing works. And, you know, just go on this whole rampage. It's like, so a light blew out. Like, what? The light blew out. What's the big deal? Out of control, right? Out of control. So if you grew up with dysfunctional parents, there's often a time where you say, holy crap, they don't really know what they're doing. My parents are not really authority figures because they just got ordered about. Here's what you have to do. Here's things that we don't know are true, but we're going to tell you they're true. Oh, and those people over there are the bad guys and peer pressure and this and that and the other. And my parents just folded and crumbled, as did my teachers, as did everyone on the media. They just folded and crumbled. What credibility does society have in the eyes of the children? People who were wrong, and they saw this in, in their families, right? So they were home, and let's say there were family members who chose not to get vaccinated. They were home, and they heard people yelling out or insulting or putting down or excluding or ostracizing the unvaccinated. So they looked at family members when they were, as kids, they looked up at their family members and they're like, holy crap. They, they can be, they can just be trained to attack family members. People can be so easily frightened that they can just turn on their family. Very scary for children that parents can be programmed to hate family members and a uh, fear of family members and ostracize family members and rat out family members. Very frightening for children. What, what do children survive on? The bond. And they saw the bonds in society snapped like twine, snapped like nothing, snapped like spider webs. 
it's really scary for children. And the only way society can get its credibility back is to take accountability, hold accountability, and apologize for getting things wrong and learn the lessons and make sure it doesn't happen again. Nobody's interested in doing that. So the children are just scared, I would assume. All right, so let's see here. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I continued reading Just Poor. Oh, that's my novel. I'm glad. Oh, it's great. I'm glad you did. The chapters between the lunch massacre and the diligent, useful banker made me feel horrible, and I suffered through them. Really? Uh, Mr. Stelson loved him. Those chapters made me feel uncomfortable, like Chevy Chase comedies. I don't like scenes set up that have social discomfort, especially the tropes of the man falling on his face in front of the girl he has affection for. Not criticizing your writing, it was excellent and appropriate. No, I don't have that scene. I don't have that scene. Yeah, so Lawrence's banker is warning him against pathological altruism and vanity. Warning him. Desperately warning him against these things. And won't be his banker if he doesn't listen. If you're going to take your ancestral money and use it for infinite social experiments, with no measurability, no chance of success, I will not be your banker. Now, of course, he should be concerned about that, right? Lawrence should be concerned about that. But he's not, because he's vain. Right? Because he's vain. And he thinks he knows better and all older people are just prejudiced and lack imagination. Right? We can see all of this with uh, the boomers and all of that, right? All right. I'm going to. I love this description, by the way. I just love this description. So I'm going to get it for you. Yes, I am. Uh, here we go. Da-dum. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Love this guy. He was like my inner entrepreneur. Ah, yes. This is the banker. Love this. Mr. Stelson was a man of money. His skin looked as if banknotes were a sort of dust that had been ground into his pores from constant handling. He was the sort of banker who did not see money as an expression of sweat and dreams. To him, it was neat numbers in a column, a tidy pile in a vault. He enjoyed its presence and regretted its absence. Where it went, when it departed, interested him not at all, as long as some of it remained behind. Banking is savage on the aesthetics of dress. Whenever a youthful employee draped himself in a color which contradicted the fact that bankers must look either like, the underta- either like undertakers or the master they serve, he was sternly admonished to appear more like Mr. Stelson. Those who entered his office for the first time were occasionally seen to rub their eyes in confusion, thinking themselves suddenly struck 
colorblind. The grayness of his office was relieved only by the piercing blackness of Mr. Stelson's suits, and the blackness of those suits was not relieved by any color in the banker's face, which could have set the discovery of circulation back several centuries had it been more widely observed. Of course, there was no guarantee that this had not already occurred, for he seemed so ancient that he could well have confused medieval physicians in his youth. Mr. Selson had long given up surprise as a hopeless cause, but the visit paid to him by Lawrence and Kay that morning in late summer revised his opinion on that matter. They came in unexpectedly, jarring Mr. Stelson's concentration as he worked his way through a pile of figures. It would have struck several people stone dead to discover that Mr. Stelson was a revolutionary. But it was true. He so despised interruptions that he sometimes wished the whole aristocracy burned and buried since they were the only ones able to enter his office unannounced. <laughs> I love that bit. It's a delightful character to me. Delightful. Do you think the development of empathy in children was seriously damaged due to masking, hiding facial expressions? Yes. Well, yes, and uh, when you're anxious, you're less likely to empathize with other people, so the anxiety provoked in the parents by their own cowardice, by the media, by lack of research and, and all of that, um, people kind of fell into themselves over COVID, and it has provoked a lot of mental illness that some people are still unable to shake off. Some grocery stores still have their plexiglass partitions separating them from the peasants. <laughs> that was all ritual, right? Very young kids didn't see strangers' faces for a few years, not seeing facial features. And shape and curl of the mouth will merely mess up your feeling of safety and emotional regulation. All the lies are one thing, but the physical limits will prove to have a terrible effect on people who were very young then. All right, let me get to your uh, call in at freedomain.com. Yeah, if you have a big thing, a lot of things that you want to talk about, free domain, uh, call in at freedomain.com. And if you're a donor, you get first to the queue. I want that banker, though. I hope he has a little more joy in his personal life. <laughs> yes, perhaps. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. Oh, what was that show? Lesbian Spank Inferno was the name of the movie. Um, uh, coupling? I think it was a British show, Coupling. The American version wasn't very good. The British show was absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. What a great sitcom that was. All right, let me just check in on the various places where people can chat anymore. Just let me know. There's a dot, dot, dot on the message. There's a lot of typing going on. What is it? What is coming? I've got a link. What does it mean? I click with great anticipation. Oh my God. You can make me blind with these spreadsheet, this spreadsheet dust. US R&D expenditures. Uh, let's see here. 
I don't see. So the government was spending over seven hundred billion, and now here I've got one hundred and forty-seven billion. So I don't know how these numbers add up. Sorry. Basic research, applied research, experimental. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, sorry, uh, I can't. I can't pass this. Uh, in the, I need a. I need a summary. What do you give me a page for that? I can't. I can't pass that in real time. Filters are important. So, uh, all right. Any last questions, comments, issues, or donations, or tips? You can tip in the app. You can tip on the screen. You can tip wherever and whenever. Coupling TV show written by Stephen Moffat. Brilliant show. Yeah, wasn't it? Wasn't it? I heard of the US version, and when I looked it up, I found the British version, which is, I hate to say, Oh, infinitely superior. Infinite superior. Um, just as a reminder, again, how often do I recommend other podcasts? But, um, but you, you need to check out this podcast. Climate Change on Trial. Climate Change on Trial. I'll throw in the link here. Um, it's really good. It's really good. I, I'm, having, I'm having wild dreams listening to this podcast, like wild dreams. And one of the reasons, I couldn't figure it out exactly, but one of the reasons I think is that in this podcast, a, a good Godzilla minus one movie, is that the Japanese one? I think I did a re review of that. But yeah, you should, you should check out this, this, this podcast. But there's a, a, a man and a woman. Uh, they're both very prominent journalists, and they're very Irish. Irish. They're very Irish. And they're, they're funny, they're wry, they're witty, and they cut each other off uh, all the time. And uh, they are warm and, and yet snarky. And, and it just, I'm having complete flashbacks to my childhood when I used to spend summers in Ireland with my relatives. My father would sometimes come up. Of course, he's the three sisters. And just a lot of time with the Irish families and the Irish um, the Irish wit and the Irish cynicism and the Irish humor. And none of my family are drinkers, so we didn't have that particular aspect of things. So, uh, Did you purposely intend the scene of the preacher in Just Poor to come off as boring and a little bit blasphemous? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he's a, he's a pompous guy. He's a pompous guy. Um, the, uh, the priest is uh, quite pompous and yeah. He is, um, he is frustrated in the presence of an alpha male, or the, the guy who's perceived as an alpha male, he's frustrated in the presence of an alpha male, like um, Lawrence, and especially with Lydia there, who's the alpha female, so he tries to be more than he is. And, I mean, the, um, I even liked, of course, I, I, love, I love absolutely everything about that book. Uh, I can't even tell you how many times I listened to the audiobook, but it was a lot. It was a lot uh, that I listened to it. And I loved his intro. Uh, I loved his intro. Let me see if I can find that too. And he, uh, he grew up without a father, right?
You know, I got to tell you, modern software, oh my God. Oh, like if I'm doing a find, if I'm doing a find in the document, just have me stay in the find window. Don't have me type in the document. Word does this all the time. I do a find, somehow it doesn't put me in the find bar, so I start typing and I'm typing in the document. I'm actually screwing up the document, just trying to find something. All right. I like this. Um, this is from chapter 20 of Just Poor. Uh, this is a novel set in the 18th century in England. The village church was a low, squat building. Stunted bushes clung to the base of its walls, and strands of ivy rose like galley ropes towards the roof, as if the land hoped to drag the structure down into its bosom, or pull itself up to the pinnacle of the lonely cross. Its walls were simple, rough-hewn, and above the rust-coloured doors hung a piece of lacquered oak carved with the inscription, Faith is reason unto itself. This homily had been chosen by Father Jones, who was quite a remarkable character. Gerald Jones had been born into the church. This was a joke in the village, though, if there was nobility in it. It was the nobility of circumstance alone, for it was between the pews that he drew his first breath, and his first cry was a lasting one. Gerald's mother had been a thin, nervous woman, given to strange rages and dreamy reveries before blowing curtains. Those with long memories remembered her as an oddly determined girl, friendly to butterflies and fearful of men, who rebelled against the stifling conformity of her small circumstances by surrendering immediately to all demands. A travelling tinker with poetic aspirations became her husband by making two mistakes. He mistook her distance for mystery, and, when she accepted him at once, confused obedience with acceptance. He soon found out that she regarded all men as uniform seeds, whose only hope for robust growth was the grim pruning of a determined wife. But a savage, silent battle soon ensued before the quiet eyes of their only child. The boy grew like a mushroom, deep in the dark embrace of maternal fascination. This was not unusual at first, for all new mothers sink into the wombs of their infants, but her husband lacked the ability or desire to woo her back to the more measured pleasures of adulthood. There were no siblings. It was Gerald and herself adrift on a murky sea of self-regard. And the pleasures they gave each other were deep. They spoiled each other with their intimacy, for there was no effort in it, no need for compromise or definition. Gerald was five when his father escaped the descending nets of his mother's demands. He strode into a cleaner dawn as the boy watched from his little bedroom window. The dark landscape, still leaning towards sunlight, shocked the boy immeasurably. It seemed unimaginable that his father could leave and the world continued to turn. He watched until the rising sun outlined the distant cross of the village church, feeling the cold regard of a new father. 
The boy's vestal birthplace was a mere matter of odds, for his mother spent so much time in the church that even pious villagers regarded her with unease. Her religion was deep and needy. It is natural that such an infant woman should prefer the endless generosity of the supernatural to the navigated affections of mere mortals. It seemed inevitable that the boy was going to become a priest, yet his fervent faith was a departure from the easygoing traditions of village worship. The previous priest had been perfectly matched to the demands of the community. He was disciplined but sensible, being himself a farmer's son, and would not dream of interrupting the harvest with ecclesiastical demands. Father Jones turned out as was feared. He was a professional priest and expected that every facet of village life would revolve around his God, just as his mother's life had revolved around him. Yet even this had not been disastrous at first, for Father Jones' fervor had been somewhat restrained by the demands of his mother. In his early twenties, however, she died of a long, wasting disease, and he utterly retreated into the bosom of his peculiarly feminine God. To the villagers, God had hitherto been salvation. There had been a certain practicality of course and effect, and the congregation had followed the landmarks to heaven with little thought for theology. God, to Father Jones, was love, romantic love incarnate, the kind of love that punishes by generosity, and a new beast began to lurk in the spiritual life of the village, the beast of reproach and it began to unsettle the rhythms of life and death. The church devolved from a social place of spiritual transaction to a flickering womb of scolding devotion. This shift alienated many villagers. There was much muttering and shaking of heads. Numinous spiritualism has always appealed to guilty leisure more than arduous labor, especially labor involving the natural elements. To the villagers, the purpose of religion was to provide comfort in the face of death and scapegoats in the face of disaster. Because life hung so precariously over the chasm of natural disasters, the need for reassurance was as intimate as the desire for life. Faith was a dedication to survival. God was merely the means. Thus, when Lord Lawrence's reforms began to spread their wealth, church attendance slowly dropped off. The murky guilt provided by Father Jones did not sit well with the new pleasures of the villagers. He knew this, and in knowing it, knew his enemy. Right? So his enemy is the Lord who reforms the land and provides more, more, um, more food. And, of course, in the novel... Because Lawrence provides more food by reforming the farmland enclosures and winter crops and turnips and manure and irrigation, so he, they produce like ten times the food they used to have. And because of this wealth, he can then enact a welfare state which destroys him. Ha! It's almost like this was an analogy I wrote over 30 years ago for the modern world. But nobody wanted to listen. Hey! Until now.
until now. Uh, why do you think modern software is so bad? Oh, it's just IQ. It's a great slowdown. My first generation Irish American friend was brutally witty and sarcastic. New York was good for that. Yeah, yeah. Can't wait for a book club talk about just poor. Yes, we will get to that. I think about that from time to time. Ah. Uh, yeah, Ireland is, is. I did a whole video, got taken down. Ireland is toast. All right. All right. Boy, it is one of the lowest tip shows. I'm going to take this personally, and I'm sorry if I'm not providing <laughs> enough value, uh, but uh, uh, I, this is a low-tip low show. A low-tip show, hey, it happens. Maybe I'm a little off. Maybe we're not connecting in the right way, but that's all right. How goes the Peaceful Parenting book? Good, good. I uh, have uh, another chapter edited. I have two more in the pipe, and I will continue on. I will continue on. But yeah, you should definitely check out the book Just Poor. Fantastic. All right. Uh, so, uh, based on 2020 data from the U.S. National Science Foundation, total R&D, the federal government funded $147 billion, accounting for 20.6% of the total R&D expenditures of $716 billion, or almost $717 Basic research, government contributed $46.2 billion, 41.3% of the funding for basic research. Applied research, government applied, was 32% of applied research. So experimental development, the government spent $57.597 billion on experimental development. 12.2% of the sector's expenditures of 471. So I'm trying to think of like, so when Fauci was controlling billions of dollars of funding, um, was that most of the R&D? A listener's wife just went into labor. Ooh! <laughs> I had a very visceral reaction listening to peaceful parenting. Yes, I don't doubt that at all. I don't doubt that at all. Well, congratulations to the listener's wife. I hope it all goes beautifully. I'm sure that it will. It's uh, modern. Modern medicine is, is pretty friendly, and I, I always kiss the feet of my dentist for the fact that modern dentistry is so beautiful compared to what was going on before. All right. Thank you, Steph. Epic show today. Remember, everyone, to share the free domain link so people get to hear this episode. People really, really need to listen to this episode. Well, I'm very glad that it was of value to you. I thank everyone for dropping by tonight. And, um, Jared, if you can forward me the listener's contact, I'll send them a little message because it's perfectly wonderful and uh, thrilling for that. For those in the chat, yeah, let's give you a little goodie. Let's give you a little goodie. Appreciating the Peaceful Parenting book. Sorry, not too much feedback other than the good stuff. Waiting to take in the whole thing, yeah. So here's my show um, as, as a five-part series on sadism, uh, including education, family, history, the origin of the word, the Marquis de Sade, bits on the French Revolution, and just a really, really wild thesis, particularly on part five, about sadism and what it means and why it is. Why, why does it exist? Uh, thank you, Zimf. I appreciate that. That's very kind. And have yourselves a wonderful, wonderful evening, everyone. Lots of love from up here. All my very, very best. Uh, if you are listening to this later, freedomain.com slash donate. 
Have a beautiful evening, my friends. I will talk to you Friday night. And um, yeah, if you um, are a donor, don't forget to check out. We'll be posting the conversation, the debate I had with a bunch of listeners about why women are going so hard left. Really, really fascinating stuff. And I hope you'll check that out. All right. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.